today we're going to talk about walking worthy of the Lord. Walking worthy of the Lord. And our text scripture is from Colossians 1, verses 9 through 13. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 13. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank and praise you, Lord, that you place upon my heart for us to study the, the principles or the concept of walking worthy of you. And we just praise and thank you, Father, that as we would partake of your word, there's any areas in which we have fallen short, Lord, we just thank you, Father, that it's just a time to clarify things that are vague, to give us insight that we may not be aware of, to strengthen us, to reprove us. But the end result is to complete the process of making us a fruitful vessel used unto glory and honor for your kingdom. So we just praise and thank you, Father, for this, that no matter what state we are in, that you would um, bless us, you would refine us, that you would strengthen us, and that you would use us to be a blessing and asset to your kingdom. And we just give you the praise, the honor, and glory, Father, for everything you're going to do in us through this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so we see here that in the early church they were praying for people to get to a certain level of spiritual growth. And this is still something that we can all pray in this day and age. And as we know, the word of God and the principles and the desires of the God are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if this is something that was prayed in the early church, this is something is God, that is God's desire for our lives in this day and age. And one of the key words that we see here in this passage of Scripture is that the prayer that was being uh, um, prayed over the people at this time is that they might be filled with the knowledge of, all his, of his will, that they might have a walk worthy of the Lord, that they'd be strengthened with all might. There's a lot of mights in this passage of Scripture. So basically it's demonstrating to us or illustrating to us that although God's desire is that all of us would go to a certain level of maturity and that we would all come to the place that we would have a, a walk that is worthy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the very fact that the word might is in there illustrates the fact that it's a conditional thing. In other words, all Christians have the potential to have a walk worthy of the Lord. God's desire is that all Christians come to the place that he can see them as an asset to his kingdom, but because the word might is there, obviously everybody doesn't arrive at that same spiritual condition. Amen? So that means that the onus is on us. If God has given us every provision necessary to equip us, to groom us, to mature us, to walk as vessels of righteousness that are apt to teach and to minister to and to bless in every area, if we never get to that place, we cannot blame God that we haven't arrived. Instead, we have to evaluate ourselves and say, why didn't I get there 
when so many others have arrived. Amen? And even for those who have arrived to a certain stature in God, that doesn't mean that the process has ever been completed. As long as we are in this earthly body, moving and changing and growing and aging, there's always a work that's be completed in each one of us. So even if we are mature in Christ, that doesn't mean that we can stop where we're at, but we have to continually refine ourselves and seek the Lord as in how we can abide by his guidelines and his will for our lives in that time in that season. Amen? So I said this is a conditional thing. God's desire is that we might have a walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. His desire is that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, but that may not necessarily happen with all people. Another word that the Lord placed upon my heart from this passage of scripture is that not only is his desire that we might be filled with these things, but the word filled itself means to be crammed or completely furnished. Crammed. We're not talking about a little bit of God in your life. We're not talking about me and God have a distant relationship or I got a little tidbit here, tidbit there. God is saying that my desire is that I fill you, I cram you full of the character, the knowledge, the revelation and insight that is necessary for you to live a fruitful and mature life in me. If that's the case, why are so many people devoid of the most simplistic foundational principles of the word of God? Amen? Still debating Christianity 101 issues. Still can't commit to attendance, to uh, devotions, to abiding by the character of Christ. Still struggling over all these rudimentary pr- principles of the body of Christ that they should have done in the first six, to, six months to a year of their walk with, with God. But it goes down to the commit conditional thing. We cannot blame God. God says, for everything that I have desired for your life, for your will, my will to be fulfilled in your life, for your journey to be completed, I will absolutely fill you with everything you need to get it done. So why are we so clueless? Why are we so empty? Why are we so powerless? Why are we so off course and off track? The reason has to be is that we have, instead of pursuing God to fill ourselves with the knowledge of his will, my argument today is that a lot of us have gone out to fulfill our own wills and desires. That's why we may be this far over here pursuing our goals, but yet the things of God are way over there on the other side of the field. Or maybe we're not even on the right field. But we cannot blame God once again. His desire is to cram us. Amen? You ever cram something in? (laughs) You go somewhere and, oh, we're allowed to get a certain amount of this. And they give you a little plastic container. And they tell you, as soon as they say that word free, you go from, if I had to pay for this by weight, I'll take a scoop, maybe two. Because this could get pricey. But as soon as they put the word free on it, oh, give me the spatula, give me the large spoon. You not only take the spoon and go like this, but you're like, it's not good enough to fill up the container to a reasonable level. You're like, oh, there's a crack in there. (laughs) You start shoving the stuff in there. Why? Because it's free. It don't cost you nothing. Amen? But why aren't we the same way with spiritual things? God says, I want to cram the essence. 
the nature, the character, the attributes, the wisdom from the throne room of God into you, and yet we say, I'm busy. I'll just take just enough of God to have hellfire insurance, just enough of God that when I need to get those bill paid, I'll be obedient, just enough of God that when I'm praying for that promotion and somebody else is out to get it, I'll be diligent only to get it and then, okay, I'm back to normal. We only take just a little bit of God that's necessary to get us by and keep the road smooth. Amen? But God says, my desire is that you have the hunger. Cram me, Lord. Everything you got, give it to me. That's the desire that God has us has for us and the desire that he wants us to have for him. That word filled not only means to be crammed, but also means to be completely furnished. So that means that whatever God's will is for your life, you don't have to look around and say, who can help me get over the hump? You don't have to say, I'm inadequate. I'm inferior. I'm too weak. I'm too feeble to get this done. But instead, if it's God's will for your life and you're walking in unity with him according to his plan and purpose for your life, you don't have to worry about the fact that you lack this or that. By the time you get into the season that God wants it to be fulfilled in your life, he'll make sure that all the tools and resources that are necessary will be supplied or provided or granted in your life so that you are now suited to handle the goal or the mission at hand. Amen? So God says that he will completely furnish you. And another thing here, it says that he wants us to be filled with spiritual understanding. That's the understanding of what his purposes and plans are regarding your life as opposed to what you may desire, what other people may say about you. The word spiritual has a few very interesting aspects to it. In the underlying Greek, spiritual means non-carnal, non-bestial. And here's a big one, not demonically influenced. I'll say it again. The word spiritual, God saying he wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The word spiritual is that he's filling you with wisdom and understanding that is not carnal. It ain't about you going out there and going with the crowd of the world system. It's not about you going out and pursuing your own natural. That's where it comes into the bestial, animalistic impulses. And it's also in you going to fulfill the word of God and his will for your life without it being people or demonically influences, influenced. Amen? Because not only will people try to get in the way of God's will being fulfilled for your life, we ourselves and our flesh can sometimes get in the way with our own animalistic urges or our carnal worldly urges, but then the enemy, the prince of the powder of the air, will try to speak things into your mind that will also divert you off course. Amen? Sometimes through confusion, sometimes through temptations and lusts that lead us astray, and sometimes through fear and intimidation, like I shared last week, that will even knowing that I'm supposed to go down this road for God, I'm not going to go there because I'm afraid. And somehow I've allowed the veil of the fear to get on me so much that it supersedes the desire that's in me to serve God faithfully. 
So these are the sort of things that will get us off course. But God's desire is that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. As we talk about being filled with his desire, for some of us it's very vague, and then for others it's undesirable because the reality is sometimes we have a tidbit of the knowledge of what he wants us to do, Sometimes we're unclear, but sometimes, like I said earlier, it's about us going out to fulfill and focus on our own desires. And if we were, were to pursue the goals of God, his will would interfere with our own plans for ourselves. Amen? So I don't really want to know God's will for my life because I want to do ABC, and I know if I seek him, if I ask him what he wants me to do, here he goes again. I want to be over here. He got to mess up my agenda and take me over there. <laughs> That's kind of the Jonah syndrome. <laughs> I want to go preach over here. These are people going to like my preaching. I can wow the crowds over here. Boy, they're going to be shouting when I preach that message. And God said, no, I want you in Nineveh. They're a bunch of scumbags. I hate those people bunch of heathens I want to preach over there but are we going to be full of the will and the knowledge of God or are we out doing our own agenda which one are we going to do because we see here we're not talking about doing our own desires we're talking about having a walk that is worthy of God so the first aspect of it having a walk that is worthy of God is that we have to be in alignment with what he desires, not ourselves. Now, sometimes if we're blessed and we're obedient and we yield ourselves to God and allow ourselves to be honed and refined and matured in him to understand his character and nature so that now two wills become at least closely one, we'll find a lot of times that as we allow ourselves to adapt and to bend the knee of our hearts and minds, we find that we start to gravitate further and further over to what the God desires for us. Amen? So we don't find ourselves fighting against it so much. But that is a battle that as we mature, we go to different levels of intimacy, different levels of commitment, and different understanding of what he wants. So it is not God who has to change for us to have a walk that is worthy of him. Instead, it is me, myself, and I, that has to change that stubborn mind, that fleshly attitude, that devotion to self as opposed to God. And sometimes things even have to the world and people around us the facade that it is within the will of God. But only we really know if it's what the will of the Father has spoken into our lives. And like I said, a lot of times it's not that we don't know, it's that we choose not to do. Because God is getting in the way of what we really desire. Amen? So God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will, and not only to be filled with the knowledge, but now to start to adapt and to align our thinkings and our perceptions and our plans and our goals that so they now are navigating over to the same lane that God wants us to flow in. Amen? And that is where we will be the most fruitful. Let's look at Romans chapter 9, verses 20 through 24. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replieth against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, 
Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. <laughs> this translation and many translations make this polite. Amen. But, O oh man, who art thou that replieth against God? It kind of lowers it in terms of the attitude. Amen. Who are you to reply against God? It's like God says, hey, this is how I've created you. And you reply, well, God, what do you mean by that? Do I have to do that? It's so pleasant. But that word replieth there is not the nice, gentle, friendly word here. This is the disobedient, self-sufficient, uh, as Apostle Lester says, God-ruling spirit reply. God, I know that you told me to be this, but I defy what you want. I want to be what I want to be, regardless of what your knowledge is. All of a sudden, he's not the omniscient, all-knowing God when it relates to the life of me, myself, and I. I know what's better for me. Now, he formed and fashioned me, but I am my own personal Frankenstein's monster. You animated me. You gave me life, but yet I want to go up against the master and be my own creation. (laughs) So that is more the heart of of this passage. Who, man, are you? that you will reply against God. Who are you to say how you're defined? What makes up the essence of you? Even in you going through all the things that you have endured over the course of your life, from your birth and the circumstances regarding it, to your childhood and how you were treated or not treated, to your adult life and all the experiences you've gone through, some inflicted on you some that you have done to yourself some based upon the economy the government whatever amen god is saying who who are you to reply against me instead of yielding to what i desire for your life so he is asking the question shall the thing form say to him that formed it why have you made me thus instead the question should be how can i make myself suitable to what you created me for amen a mindset of bending the knee, a mindset of not replying against or arguing and debating and having to reason a thousand times over, but instead saying, I don't understand it, but yet I yield to your will, O Lord, because you created me. Doesn't matter if I necessarily like it, even though I truly believe that when we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, he gets us to a place where everything may not be smooth, a bed of roses, a cloud floating through life, but yet I believe that if we truly yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, we get to the place where everything may not be perfect from a temporal perspective, but we come into the place where we have the peace of God despite the circumstances that we encounter. But it never comes with the mindset that I'm going to keep replying against God. Why do I have to do this? Why do I got to do that? You're nothing but a brat child.
or, or a rebellious teenager in the sight of God, you keep replying, why, 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 why? <laughs> and God keeps saying, do this, do that, and do this. And the thing that is tragic about this is that as parents, we know that we would tell our children to do stuff at times, even if they don't like it, even if it makes them angry, because we love them, it's always for their good. You don't have to understand it right now. Yeah, it sounds stupid right now. But five, ten years from now, when you mature, you're going to understand the wisdom of everything I told you. And here's the thing you're going to hate the most. You're going to grow up and have some after your own kind, and you're going to be repeating some of the same old stuff that my parents said to me and got on my nerves, that I said to you and I got on your nerves, and now it's your turn. <laughs> Amen? So when God is looking at us, he's seeing a bunch of rebellious or stubborn or unyielding children that continually say, why, 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 God? And the whole time he's saying, just bend the knee. Not the physical knee, but bend the knee of your stubborn mind and your heart and comply with my wisdom, even if you don't understand it. And somewhere along the road of my journey, you'll completely understand that I was not abusing you. I did not abuse you in how you were formed and fashioned, because a lot of people think that as well. I did not abuse you by the stuff that was allowed in your life early on, but it was part of my master plan, the same way I created Moses, and he ended up being floated down a river and living in the enemy's house, only to come back and decimate his kingdom later. Sometimes we don't necessarily understand the circumstances of our birth or the things that we went through that were so grievously unfair. But in the master plan of God, it's totally clear. The whole time, Moses, all those baby boys getting killed for no reason. And God allowing him to be placed in that basket and floated down that river. river, river. The people at that time were saying, this is horrendous. How could you allow this child to go through these circumstances? The whole time, God's seeing the end result. Egypt's coming down through my deliverer. See, we see the here and now. And the unfairness and the hurt. And how can you allow all this to happen? God's 10, 20, 30, 40 years in, in the future. He might not even be looking at you. He might be looking at your, your ge multiple generations after you. Yes, you cannot understand what's going on and the unfairness of it right now. But I see the fruit of what's going to come out of this. Do you realize that even before Moses... God knew, was born, God knew he was going to use Moses as his servant to decimate Egypt. But even before that, when he made covenant with Abram, he said, at some point, y'all are going to go through 400 years. He's saving Moses and his deliverance as he's making the covenant with Abram. Wow. And we're thinking God is being unfair. God said, nah, all part of my master roadmap, all part of my game plan. No surprises. So yet, yes, some of us may say, why did you make me thus? It's not fair. But God's saying, you don't know what I'm going to do out of you if you only yield. Amen? So he says, have not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. The word vessel here, in the underlying Greek means equipment or apparatus. We are God's equipment. And before you think of it as, whoa, that's kind of distant, 
He thinks we're nothing but a piece of machinery. Sounds kind of cold. But before we move on, it not only means equipment or apparatus, but here's where it really gets good. It's equipment or apparatus, specifically a wife as contributing to the usefulness of the husband. So it's, it's quite personal, the way in which God created each one of us to be his vessels. We are apparati or equipment that God has created to be used for his purposes, but he is not a distant God that does not care about us. He is looking at us as being part of the bride, a wife. And as a husband says, I don't want any kind of woman that's out there just running the streets looking the old kind of way. I want a wife that is useful to me and is complimentary to me. So God wants you to compliment him in your form and fashion, in the essential makeup of your character, in the maturing that you go through on a daily basis, as well as the submission that you yield over to him as the author and finisher of your faith. And even though, as I said, your workmanship may not seem to be divine, might seem kind of ruddy, corruptly formed, with a lot of lumps and bumps and bruises, God is saying you as somebody that he wants to release unto the world to serve, to serve in a divine purpose. And as I said, he has a very special relationship that he desires in each one of us, that he will see us as part of that bride, useful to the, hus- to the bridegroom. Amen? Wow. He wants to be proud of his wife, in other words. Now, the word honor here not only talks about us being a vessel, but a vessel unto honor. If you're a vessel unto honor, God is saying that you're somebody who is granted esteem of the highest degree. You're somebody, if you're yielded to the Spirit of God and what God desires for your life, you are somebody that God says is, has merited or earned esteem of the highest degree as well as the dignity that's associated with it. So you can come to the place, no matter how you're formed in fashion and how God is using you, that, wow, I'm a person, of, I'm a dignitary. I'm a servant of the Most High God. And he has looked at my life, reviewed my actions, my desires, and my obedience, and based upon him seeing that I yield to his desires over my own, God is saying, now I have afforded you esteem of the highest degree, and you're a person of great dignity. Now, if you're a person of dishonor or a vessel of dishonor, it says that you're one that's associated with disgrace or shame, and it actually gets worse. You're a person that's associated with disgrace and shame, but also you're infamous. In other words, you've got a reputation for being evil or impure or unjust. So I'm sure if we were to <laughs> go down the list of characterizations and uh, or characteristics and attributes to say, do I want to be on the list of what God would deem to be a vessel of good use? You know, equipment that God says is useful unto me and I look down with you as fondness as a husband and you are my bride versus being one that brings shame and even infamy to the name of God, 
I would hope that all of us would say, I think I'll take the first column. <laughs> and it's a process that we have to grow through on a daily basis, being filled. So that's where it comes down to, not fighting up against God, not replying against God, but instead saying, God, even if I don't understand it right now, pour out your wisdom upon me as I seek you and show me why have you made me death. See, there's a different attitude behind it. It's not one to fight and resist. Now it's one that I may not be totally clear on it, but I'll yield to it, and in time, it'll all become clear to me. And sometimes you may look at your life and say, well, all right, God, I've come on board. I may not think I'm strong enough, adequate enough, smart enough, talented enough, whatever it may be. I may not deem myself of being worthy of any recollection or respect from the kingdom of God. I have no clue, and I don't know exactly what I'm doing, and I just really cannot grasp how somebody this week can be useful to your kingdom. In verse, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 26 through 28, it shows us how we could deal with those weaknesses. Amen? Romans 8, 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So if you feel inadequate, worthless, weak, that there's nothing about you that is of value to God and his kingdom, we see here that it says that the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. See, that word infirmities does not just relate to physical illness, but the word infirmities here in the underlying Greek means feebleness of body or mind feebleness of body or mind, and then it also talks about malady or moral frailty. So it's not just about the physical ailments that we have to encounter on a daily basis, but it actually goes more into the emotional and the mental aspects. I'm weak in mind. God, how can I serve you? God, why have you made me thus? God, why am I always going through this or that? And how can I ever be an overcomer in Christ? We see here, God says, you can seek me via the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give you clarity, he'll give you deliverance, and he will give you power, amen? The Holy Spirit even knows in the times where we don't know how to go to God and say, even ask the questions or pray to him. It says that he actually helps us. Sometimes you may pray one thing and, God, and the Holy Spirit says, nah, you're not really coming to God with everything that you need to expose or, or to say to him. So the Holy Spirit will take your prayers and your desires and your questionings before God, and he will translate them in such a way that God gives you back the response that you need to empower you, to equip you, and to get you to the place where you're walking worthy of his kingdom and his desire for your life. Amen? That's a great thing. <laughs> He's not only the counselor, the healer, the teacher, but he's also the translator. Because <laughs> sometimes we just don't know what to say to God. I'm such a mess. I'm so confused. I'm so despondent. I am so despicable. I am so weak. But yet the Holy Spirit says, I know what you need. I got it. 
and he'll go to God on your behalf. So if we are in that place, failing to have clarity regarding our purpose or our next moves in life, the Holy Spirit can help us with those weaknesses. Like I said, it includes praying on our behalf when we're totally uncertain about how to pray or how to proceed. And one of the things we see here, which is commonly used, which is totally out of context of Scripture. You'll hear people a lot of times, all things work together to good for God, to those who love God. All things work together for good. Sometimes they don't even put the, to the love God part. All things work together for the good. No, they don't. No, they don't. That might be very unpopular, but no, they do not. All things work together for good to them that love God. And here's the thing. Whether you use to lo- that love God or not, that phrase, that love God, is not according to the typical secular mentality, which is nothing but lip service. All things work together for good to those who love God. Well, you ain't been in church for six months. You're broke. You never do tithes and offering. You're about to get kicked out of your apartment with your boyfriend, and you should have been shacking. No, all things are not going to work together for good. Because in your actions, you're not showing that you love God. Because you love God, you wouldn't be doing this. You wouldn't be doing that. You wouldn't be saying this. You wouldn't have this character. You wouldn't be you, this kind of reputation. You wouldn't be telling people off. You wouldn't be manipulating and controlling. All these different things. No, all things do not work together for, to, for, to good for those that are walking according to those ways. If you love God, you will bend the knee. Have a life of submission. Start the game by doing Christianity 101. Amen? And then you can receive the promise that all things are, will to work out for good. Because for them to work out for good is to those that love God. That's in having a, a relationship of love, devotion, uh, obedience, and commitment to him. Despite what you may desire. That means drag your butt up and get to church. That means um, pay your tithes and offer. That means you're not manipulating and controlling people. You're not using people. You're not slandering people. You're not going out there and fornicating. All these different things that are contrary to the word of God. If you love God, you yield yourself to his principles. And then number two, it's not only those who love God, but it works out the good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So you can even fall in the category, no, I truly do love God, I'm committed. But are you going out and doing things according to his purpose? If it's not according to his purpose, it may not work out for good. So the word of God says, come and let us reason together. Your life has, has been a mess, it's staying a mess, and it looks like it's going to be in a mess in the future. Something's wrong with the equation. God's word works, but are we working the word? Amen. I think that's where a lot of people fall short. And I see it all the time. I see people, I saw this woman one time on Facebook, post a picture of she's in her underwear. Next thing you know, oh, the Lord going to bless me. No, he ain't. You just put pictures on the internet that, first of all, shouldn't have been there. Looking at you, you should not have posted them. <laughs> you need Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig before you post anything. And you're going to post that stuff on Facebook. I'm sitting there, my eyes hurting now. i got blood coming out the side, <laughs> veins popping out my eyeballs looking at that thing, the damage I received. i got a patch over one eye. Oh, the Lord going to bless me. Oh, yes, he is. No, he ain't. You just acting like a wayward woman on the Internet. 
How, God gonna, how is God going to bless you? And you and your drawers on the internet. That's for your husband. That is not for everybody's consumption, especially people like me that don't want to see that. You're going to do that. At least look good. <laughs> but they don't even look good. <laughs> and that just, you know, and then you go into the other stuff. People posted this and that. And they argued on the internet with this person that. Oh, yeah. You know, you don't cuss them out. <laughs> and the thing is, God knows everything. But the world knows everything. You done posted a, a full-scale argument, talking smack on the Internet. Then, oh, well, I'm a child of God. and huh, Well, God ain't going to let me be treated like this. But, but You just argued on the Internet. It's recorded on the server for all time until <laughs> Jesus' return. And yet we go to God. Oh, I know he's going to bless me. God don't even have to bring that back from his memory bank. He could just bring the page back up. Oh, but everything's going to work good for me because I love God and I'm walking according to his purpose. Oh, it was according to the purpose of God that you would post that rant or post that picture on the Internet and didn't expect God to bless you. And we wonder why the church is in a mess. The reality is most believers do not have a walk that is worthy of the Lord. They don't even have a walk that's worthy of their families. Remember back in the day that people cared about their family reputation? You know, it's just, it's just ridiculous now. People are doing the, the craziest stuff possible just to get fame. Like, don't you have any shame about what that's going to place upon your family name? Is there no honor anymore? In most places, there isn't. So we think we can go out and do stuff that makes your parents put their heads down in shame, but yet God's supposed to bless us, who's the greater parent, and you're acting like that. Why in the world would God deem you to be worthy for him to pour out your blessings when the stuff he's already allotted you has been spoiled or wasted? Why in the world would God pour out his blessings to you? Amen? He'll grace you enough to keep you going to try to get you right. But everybody's talking about all this abundance. Why would he pour out his abundance to those who are trashing the stuff he's already afforded them? Amen? And it ain't about money. It's about your natural talents. It's about your, your character. It's about so many different things that go beyond the, the trinkets that are in this world system. And we want God to pour out his blessings and look at us like, oh, you honor me. And yet we behave any old kind of way. Amen? I'm just astounded that God's not like this all the time. Just weeping in sorrow at the state of the Christian world especially here in the United States. Amen? Oh, he's going to pour out his blessings. So we're talking about having a walk worthy of the Lord. We are to be filled with the knowledge of his will, his purpose, his plans, his desires. It's no longer about the God of me, myself, and I, because a lot of people are serving their own God, but it's not Buddha. It's not some philosophy like Confucianism. Most people attend the church of me, not just Sunday, but they are frequent congregants of their own church, the God of will, self-will. That is the greatest religion on the earth. You realize that? Oh, Islam's taken over. Well, it's taken over a certain extent, but the greatest church 
is the church that nobody has to travel to. It's the one where you get up out of bed in the morning. What's my agenda for today? This is what I want. That's the biggest church. Gets the most money. Gets the greatest attendance. And nobody has to travel anywhere. They just rise up in the morning, have no thanks for God, have no plan whatsoever to do the will of God. That is the biggest church on this planet. And it has billions of followers. That's why they're not in the seats right now. They're at their own churches, a lot of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're sitting at the TV set, but they're worshiping at the church of me, myself, and I, the church of self-will. So we, we're trying to walk worthy of the Lord. Amen? And that means it's not about us, but fulfilling some of the things that he desired. So first he talked about being filled with the knowledge of his will. And like I said, even if we fall short, we feel inadequate, insecure, amen? All we do need to do is seek God, and he promises, according to his word, that he will fill us, amen? And he will gradually take us through the process where the makeup and the workmanship that he's done in us, we'll see it as something that is glorious as opposed to something to be despised, amen? Now, the next thing he talked about is not only being filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, but it talked about having a walk worthy unto the Lord. And like I said, many of us feel that unless we're doing something that is notable, that our walks are not worthy of God. I mean, we see the mega ministries on TV. We see major organizations like Feed the Children and Operation Blessing that are going out there across the planet and ministering to people. And sometimes we look at our own thing like, well, I talked to a lady at the grocery store or I, I, I hugged somebody that was grieving or I held the door for somebody, but I'm not really doing anything. How could God even think I'm worthy of him? What big thing have I ever done for the body of Christ? So I don't quite measure up. But one of the things I want to share is that the Lord told me to give the, the de definition of walking worthy of him. And it has nothing to do with the, the specifics of what we do on a daily basis or the scope of the ministry that we're called to. Instead, the word worthy means appropriate or after a godly sort. Appropriate or after a godly sort. So in other words... If we want to walk worthy of the Lord, it's not about the scale of what we're involved with. Instead, it's about us coming to the place where we realize this is what God wants me to do on the, as an overall course of my life. Here's the things that God wants me to do on a daily basis. And as I abide with these things, God deems them appropriate because why? They're noble, they're pure, they're undefiled, they're after his nature and his heart and they're of a godly sort or nature. So it's really that simple. It doesn't have to be grandiose. You don't have to reach millions of people on a daily basis or have these great accounts of, of money that you build houses and things and stuff like that. But instead, it's just about you doing the things that God deems as appropriate and, and godly for your life, and then it falls in line with his expectations. You know, you really think about it, the reality is that none of us can ever be worthy of God. 
None of us. I mean, if we spent every moment for the remainder of our lives trying to be worthy of God, we would fall terribly short. I mean, come on. (laughs) What can I do that can compare to a man who lives a sinless life and sheds his innocent blood on on a cross, dies, resurrects himself from the grave, but before he dies, goes down to hell and, and beats the devil's butt and leaves him by his nose and says, I got the keys to power <laughs> of life and over death, and then ascends to the right hand of the Father. How can I ever compete with that? You just can't. How can I ever be worthy in comparison to that? I can't. But thank God that as we yield to what he desires for our lives, that is something that puts us under the umbrella of worthiness before God. So just as he makes salvation a free and easy gift for us to accept, worthiness, God makes simple as well. We don't have to overcomplicate it. We don't have to feel that I got to do something grandiose so that God will accept me. Any mindset that we have that we got to work and kill ourselves and grovel to get accepted before God, I guarantee you it's based upon secular relationships that you've had in the past. Your family, your school, your places of work, relationships and organizations, any desire or need that you feel in your heart that you have to work and kill yourself and grovel and belittle yourself to be accepted and deemed worthy by God, it's a deception of the enemy. Because God operates in love. He doesn't want his children to grovel. Amen? And he may punish us sometimes for us disbehaving, just as we punish our children, you know, for those of us who are parents. But how many of us have forced our children to grovel, especially when they've had a repentant attitude to have them grovel? The picture of God dealing with a wayward child comes from the story of the prodigal son. Amen? You notice the brother was not happy. Well, why are we welcoming him in bag? Why are we giving him robes? Why are we having a family? I mean, a party. That's what the world does. The father's like, he was lost. Now he's found. Let's welcome him back in and let's celebrate. And for those that complain and criticize, everything I had was yours. <laughs> if you didn't have a bad attitude. I'm welcoming back the one that was lost. And that is the mindset of God. So we don't have to kill ourselves and grovel to be worthy of God. Instead, instead we simply have to move into alignment for what he's revealing to us as being appropriate in terms of our daily actions. Amen? His love and sacrifice is greater than anything that we can ever do in our responses to him and our appreciation and gratefulness for him. But thank God that he makes it pretty easy for us to do. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, so here we see them discussing and actually beseeching or pleading that we would have a walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Amen? And most of the time we see the word vocation, we automatically think job. 
Okay, what's my job? But if you really look at this, according to the Greek language that was originally written in, it's not talking about a job. It's actually saying that you would have a walk worthy of the invitation that has been extended to you. Invitation or a calling. So he's saying that you would have a walk worthy of the invitation that you've been granted. And that alone is something that is a very welcoming concept. Amen. God's not calling you into his kingdom to put you to work. Where you would say, man, the only reason I was invited was because they wanted me to work. Serve this, clean that, lift that. Well, they didn't really want me here. They just brought me in on the party or into the family to put me to work. That would make you nothing more than a, a, a Cinderella in the body of Christ. We'll take you in the family as a stepchild. Now go sow this, clean that, cook this, put you to work as a servant of the family. So you're not really accepted. You just were brought in to be a laborer. But we see here God says, I am inviting you in to a divine calling. I've been calling out to you. Will you respond to the call that's on your life? And we see here that when you respond to the invitation, in order to have a walk worthy of, of the invitation, it's not like you're going in coal mines or working out in extreme cold and in, in the elements. You're not getting cut and bruised, but instead it says in order for you to walk worthy of the calling or invitation that you receive, all you have to do is walk with humility, patience, tolerance, and have a nature of promoting peace and grace into the lives of others. Amen? You're a negotiator. You're a peace bringer. You're a love producer everywhere you go. And we see here that even when people are striving to have conflict, instead that you are endeavoring, striving, working diligently to keep unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. So that is the, the job if it was a job. But the reality is the main thing is that God has invited us in with the opportunity to partake of the nature of Jesus Christ. Everywhere Jesus Christ went, he brought healing and peace, comfort, hope. God is saying, I'm just bringing you in to not only partake of the nature of Christ in your own life, but now I'm blessing you to not only be a recipient of it, but I've now turned it around as you mature, and you are now a distributor of it into the lives of other people. So in other words, he's really entrusting us to be bearers of what he has imparted into us. Years ago, they talked about typhoid Mary. She got typhoid, and she went around as a host body and was basically distributing the disease everywhere she went and was taking out lives. Amen? In our case, we have something imparted to us that is a communicable blessing, not a disease. And everywhere we go, we are distributing the righteousness of Christ. So we are healers everywhere we go, as opposed to people distributing communicable diseases and plagues. So just think about that. Everywhere we go, walking worthy of God, our job requirement just dispense the grace of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the healing of God everywhere we go.
So it's not a job. It's really an invitation to embark on the same lifestyle and character that Jesus Christ exhibited before fallen mankind. Amen? Hallelujah. And just think about how easy it is to be worthy of God. We're so accustomed that you got to work for this. you got to work for that. you got to struggle, struggle, struggle to get ahead. And for every step you take, there's three, where you, three that you fall back. But in God, you should just come on in. No charge. Just accept the invitation. And now, based upon what I'm putting in you that continues to grow and blossom as you mature, you have levels that you go through, but now you can go out and dispense the same thing and I part it into you at higher and higher levels. That's a great job description. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> great job description. So it talks about us being worthy and walking worthy of the Lord. Then it talks about being fruitful in every good work. And I think we can automatically agree that works contrary to God's will are unfruitful, not fruitful. Or at least they're, they may not be straight out evil, but they're at least impure if they're not characterized by the nature, the mindset, and the concepts of God. So he says here, that he wants us to have a walk that is worthy for him. We already saw accepting the invitation and starting to walk in the character of Christ as we take on more and more the nature of our Savior. But then it talks about us going out and being fruitful in every good work. So I'm sure we all agree that we would love to be considered fruitful in everything, and um, I, I believe that most of us would admit that we've not, you know, met that that criteria yet that we failed in some things that we've uh, misstepped stumbled tripped up and straight up screwed up some things here and there amen but at least we have the capacity in God that we could be fruitful in every good work so I want to look at second Timothy chapter 2 we'll look at verses 19 through 26 second Timothy 2 19 through 26 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at will. All right, so we see here, God's foundation standeth sure. We see here that although 
everybody may character, characterize himself as a servant of God and I love God and, you know, this and that. And I'm committed, I'm devoted and sincere and I love God with all my heart and God is good all the time and all the time God is good. It says here, God knows them that are his. And we see it in the New Testament, it actually says that some people are going to come to him, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name and cast out devils and this? He said, I never knew you. Depart from me. So he's not surprised, and he knows those that are his. We see here that not only does he know those that are his, but he has placed a seal upon them. They are sealed by the Holy Spirit for redemption. He has them marked. If you're serving God faithfully, you have a mark on you. Amen? But instead of it being a scarlet letter that's associated with sin and shame, it is the seal of the Holy Spirit that says, this is one of my people that are out here serving me, expanding the kingdom of God, and they're producing and distributing righteousness, peace, and love everywhere they go. And we see here, though, that even though there are many servants of God, everybody's not necessarily at the same level in terms of their relationship with God. And just as we would go into a house and we see, you know, you got a wooden chair here, a wooden table here, you might go in somebody else's house and everything's, you know, you got a glass table and different chairs comprised of a different type uh, of materials. Or you may even have two sets of wood chairs and one is oak and another one's maple or mahogany. There's different levels of how things are worked. And especially as you go into gold and silver and gems and precious things like that, they may all be shaped to do, fulfill the same purpose, for instance, Two things could be a chair, two things could be a table or shelf or whatever. You might look at one set and say, well, that's poorly manufactured and it was cheap. Look at another one. Whoa, they paid a lot of money for that. <laughs> so just because you're shaped the same way and have the same purpose doesn't mean that you're necessarily um, as great an asset or as valuable. Amen? So God loves us all equally, but yet... Those who have yielded to his leadership and are truly committing themselves to having a walk that's worthy of, of the Lord, they've got more shine in the kingdom of God. Amen? That doesn't mean they're more important. He loves them more. It just means that they could be trusted more to go out and yield to his will, especially in the areas where inconvenience may come in. So we have to decide, do we want to go out and serve the Lord faithfully. Um, we see the key thing here is that in verse 21 it says, if a man purge himself of dishonorable traits. Amen? That's the key thing. Are we purging ourselves of those things which are either dishonorable or things that hinder us from yielding to God completely? Where are we at in terms of that? And that's really between us and God. We typically know, and God definitely knows. Amen? And people looking at us outwardly may think we're doing everything that God's called us to do, but we can know without a shadow of doubt, no, God told me, once again, <laughs> I told you to preach here, and you were over there. So things may have the appearance of being, oh, this is totally righteous, and wow, what a great servant of God. And the whole time God said, nope. I know what's going on behind the scenes, and I know the level of obedience that that person has to my desires. So he's making it clear here. If you have things in you that are impure, 
purge yourself. And that is a word that is active and the onus is on the individual. He's telling you to purify yourself, to decontaminate yourself, to remove all the corruption that's associated with you outwardly as well as buried within your heart and mind inwardly. And that's a choice of the person. God's not going to be, he's not going to come in and say, I'm going to just rewrite your brain to take out those wayward thoughts. Or I'm going to go inside your heart to remove those things. God's saying, no, you got to do the work. I'm not going to make you a robot. I'll communicate with you. I'll express to you what you need to do to change and better yourself. But you have to make the choice through your own will because I'm not going to bend it and I'm not going to overrule it. You have to make the choice. I choose to purge this stuff out of me and walk away from it. And that is the key thing towards having a walk that is worthy for the Lord. We choose to do self-contamination. He'll give us the tools to do it, but we have to choose that we will partake of the process. Amen? So he tells us here, flee youthful lusts. Choose to be a vessel of honor that is sanctified and meet or appropriate for the master's use. You know, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And then he tells us to avoid foolish and unlearned questions. Amen. And I've definitely been careful. Like I've seen some of these current things with these court trials. And then I see people post about different things here and there. I got to a point a lot of times I, you know, I have thoughts and things I express. I just avoid it because it's going to go into um, debates whether it's online or if it's in person. It's going to go into debates. And we see here that you may have the mindset that I could prove you wrong or you can argue your case and then I can refute every point you have and I can come out on top. But God says here, according to his word, that these things are foolish. The word foolish there means dull or stupid, heedless, absurd, and then it goes further and uses more of a modern term. I couldn't believe this. But in the Greek, it means blockhead. <laughs> I like they had blockheads back <laughs> in early Greece. They they call people blockheads. But <laughs> so God says you're debating people, and it's one thing if you're in a dialogue with somebody or having an intellectual debate, and you can bring them around where they're going to believe what you're stating, or they're trying to learn something, and they say, "Yeah, but I heard this or that." And they're really open to hearing what you have to say. But if it's a situation where that person is not going to bend an inch and you're not, you're just wasting time. Amen. I remember I posted something, a guy I went to um, in high school with, and we weren't even really close in high school. We just knew each other, and he friended me on Facebook, and I accepted it. And um, he, he's a Muslim, and um, I put something on there one day, just like, Think, uh, think a testimony or something like that and about God. And he said, well, you know, he starts sharing something. So I was like, okay, all right, well, that's cool. And then uh, he posted something else, and then he's trying to quote the scripture and tell me all this and that. I said, dude, I was like, I'm not going to get in debate with you. I said, same as you would not convince me to shift your gear, you, same as I can't convince you to change one iota of your beliefs about the Koran, I said, you're not going to do that with me on the Bible. I said, I've, I've studied it in Hebrew and Greek, 
And I said, the fact is, I am rooted and grounded in my beliefs. And I said, ain't no way, shape, or form somebody serving another religion is going to be able to debate me and tell me I'm wrong about my faith. I said, no more than I can tell you you're wrong about yours. So I said, we can agree that you believe in that with all your heart, soul, and mind. I respect that. And I said, you can give me the same respect. So he finally backed off. I said, I'm not going to debate you. So I said, you can keep shooting stuff over here. And I said, all I'm doing is ignore you. Don't waste your time. You know, years ago, we would been, we had, <laughs> it would have been a Facebook, it would have been the, the longest Facebook page in history. Scroll like, probably printed out, be 150 pages, it's still going. Debating it, point and counterpoint. I'm like, I'm in a place of life, man, I ain't got time for that. I got 2,000 other things that are more fruitful. Amen. So God is telling us to avoid them. But as I said here, it just makes it funny. When you see that God not only says that you debating people in unfruitful conversations is dull or stupid and heedless and absurd, but God actually said you're a blockhead. So the next time you want to get in debate with somebody and you see it's going nowhere, say, ooh, I'm about to go into God's blockhead category. It's one thing for somebody in the world to call you a blockhead, but God to call you a blockhead? That kind of like, wow, let me back off here. <laughs> so... We don't want God to consider us to be blockheads for just disobeying him and wasting time that could have been spent on godly purposes. But instead, we see here, if you want to strive for something, strive to be gentle to people. Strive to be ready to teach people according to the, the word of God accurately. Strive to be patient with people. That's a hard thing sometimes because people could get on your last nerve times ten. You know, strive to be meek. <laughs> you know, and here's the reason. If you're striving to do all these things, people may not necessarily be walking with God or at the same level as you and God, but if you are patient and meek and striving to walk in, in love and patience and unity with people, you could be one of the people they come to in times of trouble or which they're seeking insight amen you debate them going back and forth you're going to be the last person they're going to come to amen so we really have a choice are we trying to fulfill our ego as god's presenting situations on a daily basis or are we yielding ourselves to the spirit of god amen and allowing him to have his purposes fulfilled in our interactions with people Hallelujah. You know, I'm going to close with that for now. We'll continue on next week. Amen. Hallelujah. Like I said, we need to seek the Lord about walking worthy of him. And if it's been based upon your actions, your experiences over the years, God will want you to come to the place where you see that it's not about meeting some specific criteria or some universal guidelines. He doesn't have a, a org chart or these hard, rigid guidelines. You had to do ABC or 613 things like they did in the Old Testament to abide by my laws. But instead, it's about a personal relationship and knowing what God has for your unique life, not my life. There's some things that are universal to all Christians, but then there's some things that are specific to you that are only between you and God. And those are the things that you need to abide by to fall into the category where God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and I consider you a worthy vessel unto me on a daily basis. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's all rise. Amen? Praise the Lord.
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise you. Thank you, Father. First of all, you loved and foreknew each one of us. And we just give you the praise, honor, and glory for everything you've done in us over the years. All the circumstances, the experiences, the background, the workmanship, how you formed and fashioned us, Lord. And we praise and thank you, Father, that we will come to the place that we will have, as we see in our text scripture, a walk that is worthy of you, that you would show us your expectations, Father, that we fulfill your will. And right now we thank and praise you, Father, that even though we may have gone off course, made tons of mistakes, Lord, that you're gracious, merciful, and long-suffering. You continue to pour out your love upon us, your wisdom and guidance upon us. And even in those times that we come to you to repent, Father, that you don't beat us down or belittle us, but instead you dust us off, you nourish us, and you point us back to the place where we are on the right course with you. So we thank you, Father, for your love and kindness. Hallelujah. Your mercy. Hallelujah. Your commitment, your tolerance, Father. We even thank you, Father, that you allow us to have the same mindset regarding those who we interact with, Father. Hallelujah. Let us take on your nature and your character, your level of love. And even as we saw in the scriptures today, Father, that we would endeavor to keep peace and unity and we would have the same level of humility and compassion for those that we interact with. And we thank you, Father, that even though we may have had insecurities in the past, we may have questioned why have you made us thus, why have you allowed us to go through trials and tribulations and circumstances, even going back to our birth. We praise and thank you, Father, that regardless of the, the journey that we've traveled on, that you would give us peace, Father, that you who have begun a good work in us will complete it. And let us even examine our hearts, Father, see if we truly fall into character and the, the criteria of loving you, Father, truly loving you according to your expectations and according to the word of God, that we be committed to you, to you, devoted, that we have a servant's heart and a disciple's attitude. And as we would do those things and fulfill your will in our lives on a daily basis, Father, that your word would be fulfilled in us, that all things will work together for the good for those of us who love God and the additional and most crucial part that are called to your, according to your purpose. Let us be walking on a daily basis according to your purpose that the blessings associated with our lives would be manifested, that our lives would be fruitful, and also, Father, not only would we have a, a fruitful life, but we would uh, plant fruit and godly seed into the lives of others, that they would come to know you and, and love you as we do. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. If you had a um, prayer request, feel free to come forward. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.